Today we're going to kick off our sermon series that's going to culminate in the celebration of the 100th anniversary of campus ministry in two weeks on September 19th. 100 years! Just think about that for a moment. It's a long time, isn't it? 100 years? And maybe some of you know as you sit there today that, that actually the 100th year anniversary of campus ministry was last September. But like so many other things, COVID has delayed our celebration so that we're actually going to be celebrating right before we get to the 101st year. I guess it's okay. The Tokyo Olympics happened in 2021, and yet all of the branding stayed Tokyo 2020 throughout the Olympics. We're probably okay celebrating the 100th anniversary 11 months later. We love round numbers, though, don't we? 100 years? Yeah, you can't probably go to Party City and find a balloon that celebrates somebody's 37th anniversary or 62nd birthday, right? We love the round numbers, 30, 40, 50, whatever they are. And yet what David is going to show us in the psalm that we're going to walk through, the psalm that we just sang a couple moments ago in Psalm 145 is that every day, it doesn't have to be an anniversary, it doesn't have to be a hundred years, but every day is an opportunity to praise our God for the great things that he has done. All right, by show of hands this morning, how many of you have visited Mount Rushmore? Go ahead, raise your hands if you've been, ooh, that might even be a little bit more than the first service today. All right, so then this will be really easy for you even if you haven't been to Mount Rushmore. Name, you can just shout them out, the four presidents on Mount Rushmore. Washington, Washington. we're even doing them in chronological order, I think. <laughs> Jefferson, Lincoln, Roosevelt. and Teddy Roosevelt, right, are the four that are on the Mount Rushmore in South Dakota. But maybe you've played this game. Have you heard people do this? They will say, what is your Mount Rushmore of and then they'll ask you to list your four favorite, say, Disney movies, right? Or maybe they'll ask you what are your four favorite places to eat downtown Madison? Or your four favorite shops out at Hilldale, right? Maybe, a tough one, who are the Mount Rushmore of Badger running backs? Ooh, that one would be tough. Maybe even tougher, the four best Barry Manilow songs. I mean, how can you limit it to four songs, right? Isn't it true that we love to rank things? We love to rank everything. We love to say, well, this is the best, and then this is second, and this is third. We love to put things in an order that we think as we compare them to other things. Well, here's what David's going to tell us in Psalm 145 today. When it comes to our God, there is no comparison. There's nothing to compare him to. There cannot be a Mount Rushmore of gods because there is only one and he's the one who is worthy of our praise. That's what we want to talk about in the course of the next couple of weeks. The grace, the, the matchless grace that God has poured out on our campus ministry here in Madison over the last hundred years as we celebrate the blessings that we've enjoyed. We'll see today through Psalm 145 that God does great things. And David tells us because of those great things, we proclaim not only his works, but we also proclaim his grace. Listen again, listen to these first three verses of Psalm 145. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. 
I've mentioned a couple of times now that this psalm, Psalm 145, is a psalm of King David. Would you be surprised to know that King David wrote nearly half of the psalms? Nearly half of the 150 psalms were authored by David. This, Psalm 145, is the final psalm in the collection that is credited to King David. And it, it's a nice segue into the final five psalms, which are all psalms of praise. If you want to read those psalms today, they're all pretty short. Psalm 146 to 150 sometime this week to fill your thoughts and your heart with praise for our Heavenly Father. But that's what David is doing in Psalm 145 and he uses a unique literary tool. Have you heard the idea of putting together an acrostic poem? If you've not heard that word, it's okay. But an acrostic is a poem which uses the alphabet and then each verse of the psalm begins with a successive letter of that alphabet. In this case, you have David using the Hebrew alphabet. And maybe if you glanced in your own Bible, you would open it up and say, well, well the, but there's only 21 verses in Psalm 145. And, and, and aren't there 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet? Yes, there are 22 al letters in the Hebrew alphabet. But it, in verse 13, there's actually two of the letters used in a divided verse. And so, yes, David uses the entire Hebrew alphabet to lay out this psalm. Why? What's the point of, of doing something like that? Well, maybe we should just stop for a moment and talk about Hebrew poetry. When you and I think of poetry, what do we think of? Probably words that rhyme, right? Or, or maybe a meter, it has to have a certain pace to it. Those things you won't find in Hebrew poetry. Hebrew poetry uses a literary device called parallelism, where there are two halves to the verse, and each of those two halves relate to one another in some way. Either the psalmist says the same thing in a different way, or he says something that fills out what he said in the first half. Sometimes he might even say the opposite of what he said in the first half of the psalm. Here what David is doing as he lays out Psalm 145 in this acrostic fashion is demonstrating to us that from beginning to end, throughout every phase of life from, we would say with our alphabet, from A to Z, God is worthy of praise. Take a look at an example of parallelism just for a moment. I'll take you back to Psalm 145. Look at verse 1 with me again. I will exalt you, my God, the King, I will praise your name forever and ever. You see how it's the same thought really in both halves of the verse? And then David gives us reason why he wants to exalt his heavenly father every single day, a daily event, because great is the Lord and most worthy of praise, David says. His ways are beyond tracing out, the Apostle Paul wrote. His judgment is perfect. It's unsearchable. No one can fathom how great our God is. Vicar read that a little bit ago as he read Ephesians chapter 6, that God can do immeasurably, immeasurably more, all than we can ask or imagine. Do you see David's point? There is nothing and no one in this world that can compare to our God. He goes on, one generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. 
David starts by explaining that, that God's works are so great that we want to have them passed on from generation to generation. Parents tell their children who then in turn, when they have their own children, explain to them all the great things that God has done. Just let your eyes glance over these verses again and take a look at the adjectives in those verses, the descriptive words. Do you get the idea that, that David is having a little trouble putting in words truly how great his God is? He uses phrases like mighty and splendor and wonderful and awesome and glorious. He's trying to get us to see how great our God truly is. Is there any wonder that David says, I want to meditate on these things? I want to think about them? I want to put them deep in my heart? I want to contemplate what it means that God is good. That abundant goodness of God has been on display here at the chapel for the last 100 years. That's not something to take lightly. It's not something to take for granted, is it? That God has continued to allow our ministry, our campus ministry, to not only survive but, but even thrive when the forces of evil are certainly standing against it. But maybe taking God's blessings for granted is something that we're f more familiar with than we would care to admit. I don't know about you, but I know I have an easy time ignoring some of the blessings God has in my life when I'm busy complaining, when I'm busy worrying about what's going to happen because of a certain situation, when I'm trust frustrated or troubled by something that's going on in my life, it's easy to block out the fact that there are also great blessings that I'm experiencing. Maybe even worse, I think we have a tendency to expect God's blessings, that somehow maybe we deserve God to bless us in certain ways. Is it possible that we occasionally view God as some sort of divine version of Amazon Prime? That we can kind of just scroll through whatever he's got waiting for us, order it, and within two days it'll be at our door? We feel that way sometimes, don't we? That if God isn't going to do what I want, when I want, then, then really how great can he possibly be? That's why David's words are so important for us to hear. Why David's praise for God is so important for us to emulate because it's easy to ignore, it's easy to forget the great things that God has done. But those great things are reason to celebrate. Maybe we should just stop for just a moment at this point and ask ourselves this question because maybe you notice that David wasn't very specific. He didn't speak exactly about what great works he was talking of. And maybe there's a good reason for that. Could it be that David is simply letting you and me decide for ourselves what those blessings are, what those great works are that God has accomplished in our own lives? What a great exercise. If you find yourself complaining, if you find yourself worried and anxious about things, you know what a great thing to do is? List a blessing from God. Think about something that you're thankful for. Praise God for something that he's accomplished in your life. And it doesn't have to be great. It doesn't have to be outstanding. It can be something pretty simple, like a sunrise. You know those days when you see the sun coming up and the sky has all kinds of beautiful colors, colors that probably couldn't be recreated with a paintbrush? It's awesome. Maybe it's something as simple as safe travel from point A to point B or a Sunday nap. Maybe for our students it's, 
in-person classes that might actually happen this year, right? All of the things that God does, blessing us with family and friends and, and, and getting us through difficult times, those are reasons to stop and praise our Heavenly Father. And of course, we know the greatest reason to give Him praise, who He calls us, what He calls us to be, His own dear child, bought with the blood of Christ and heirs of an eternal life with Him in heaven. That's what David speaks about in the next half of the psalm as he recounts God's grace. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. As you heard those words being read, maybe you noticed that, that two different times King David refers to God's compassion. It's amazing, isn't it? To think that a God could be compassionate to people who find it so easy to ignore or expect his blessings, who find it so easy to complain and become anxious and worried about things in this life. And yet that's exactly what God is. He is compassionate. He has a heart for you and for me. He wants us to experience the best that he has to offer. And he's gracious. He gives us beyond what we could ever expect in the blessings that we have. In the gospel lesson that Vicar read, we heard the Apostle John say that he has given us grace in place of grace already given. It's one blessing after another that God showers upon us. I love the picture there because it sometimes seems like we take for granted that, that we live on the corner of Mercy Street and Grace Avenue, but that's exactly what God gives us day after day. And that grace is for all people. God is kind and compassionate to all, David wrote. How? You know the answer to that, don't you? God did not spare his own son. That's how God is gracious to you and me. He gave up Jesus, his own son for all of us, to take the punishment that we deserved, to go to a cross that should have been ours and suffer there, shed his blood to win for you and me the forgiveness of sins. David says that that gives us something long-lasting, everlasting, because it's the kingdom of God to which we have been called, something that will endure beyond life in this world. From everlasting to everlasting, we have an eternity with our Lord. When the worries come, when the fears come, when the struggles come, it's the status that we have for, before God that overcomes the frustrations of this life. When we can remind ourselves every day of who we are, children of God, and heirs of a life with him forever. God's blessings for you and me, the reasons to praise him don't stop there. Listen to David go on. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him. 
so much that we could pull out of those verses, right? But take this to heart today. God lifts up those who are broken down, who are bowed down. He lifts up those who have fallen. And I thought about the students this week, but all of us can apply this to our own lives. You, you know that over the course of the next months and the semester and the school year, there are going to be those times where you feel kind of broken, where you feel like the weight of all that you have to do is almost too much, where you feel overworked, lack of sleep, all of the things that are part of being a student. It's then that these words are so important to hear. It's God who lifts you up. It's God's love for you that comes in those dark times and says, but you have a place with me. My son took your place so that you can live with me forever. That's true, of course, for all of us, right? No matter what comes today or tomorrow, nothing can change the status that God has given us as his own dear children. Beyond that, he provides. Isn't that awesome? God gives us what we need. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. David wrote. He goes on to tell us that God is righteous. He's right in all that he does. And so whatever is going on in your life, whatever is going on in mine, it hasn't escaped God's notice. He knows exactly where you're at and he knows exactly the path that he has to bring you through it and to the other side. David reminds us that God is near. He's not some faraway God who doesn't care about what happens to you today or tomorrow, but he's near to all who call on him. That's your invitation, your invitation to pray, to take all your needs, all of your wants, all of your desires, all of your worries and fears to the throne of your heavenly Father. It was the Apostle Paul who wrote the same thing. Because the Lord is near, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your requests to God. And that God who provides, the God who gave you salvation, that God is watching over you. He's watching over you and leading you to a home with him forever in heaven. Isn't it fair to say that there's no other way that God could continue a campus ministry for a hundred years? That there's no other way that we could have this that we have without the hand of God? How else could we possibly have the blessings that we have if it weren't for the graciousness of our God? And so David draws a conclusion from everything that he's written. As he goes from A to Z in this acrostic psalm, he finds this as the conclusion. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Let's remember those reasons that God has given us to praise his name. As big or as little as they are, those are gracious gifts from the hand of our gracious God. Some takeaways from our sermon today. Number one, God's works, works demonstrate how great he really is. Not just in a hundred years of campus ministry, but in your life, in your day-to-day -day life. Think about those things that remind you of the goodness of God and remember that he won't ever leave you or forsake you. Number two, God's grace provides our only way to stand before him. Yes, you are holy. You are righteous. Not on your own, but in the blood that Jesus shed for you. And that's your guarantee of a place with him forever in heaven. 
Finally, number three, we praise him for 100 years of his matchless grace. And we pray that God continues to bless the proclamation of his gospel, whether, whether here at Wisconsin Lutheran Chapel or Student Center, but throughout the world, to continue to bring people to a knowledge of their Savior. I think about the, the countless number of students, of members, of friends who have supported and been a part of this ministry over the years. It's almost mind-boggling, isn't it? And the blessings that God has brought to this place through them. Well, if you were at the game yesterday or if you watched it on TV, I know the result wasn't what, our, what Badger fans necessarily wanted. And yet I have to tell you, as I, as I watched the, the student section particularly, but really the whole crowd, it was kind of heartwarming to see people back at Camp Randall. And if there's been a more spirited version of Jump Around than the one yesterday, I kind of would like to see it. It was pretty amazing. A lot of energy in that Jump Around. It's not... It's, it's a wonderful thing, isn't it, to kind of put your energy into something that excites you, to be a fan of a, of a football team? I suppose David would relate, only his fandom was a little bit different. I, I don't know if we could say this with complete accuracy, but, but as I read through it, I kind of thought Psalm 145 is sort of like David's version of Jump Around. He's giving every reason that we can possibly have to praise our Father in heaven. And that fanatical faith that David carried with him, that's how he could stand before Goliath. That's how he could stand before the Philistine giant and say, it's not my might, it's not my power that's going to win the victory, but, but God is on my side. So as you hear these words of King David, as you join with me and David in praising our Heavenly Father, we recognize and proclaim his works, we recognize and proclaim his grace. And yes, we know that God has done great things as he leads us to our home with him in heaven. Amen. Peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.